Welcome to the Rescue Dogs Responsibly podcast. The purpose of my organization is to inform and educate the public how to choose a compatible, safe pet dog, but also to educate dog rescues and shelters on successful dog evaluation, rehabilitation training, and matching dogs to adopters. In this episode, I'm talking to Tina Olguin, which I had the pleasure of meeting about a year ago when I was asked to evaluate about 30 dogs from a hoarding case at her shelter. The shelter is very small, uh, bare bones, low budget, but what they do with what they have is incredible. Uh, The staff is a pleasure to work with and always has the best interest of the animals as first priority and was happy to help them with this case. I also wanted to interview Tina to highlight the plight of dogs in New Mexico. And there are many shelters and counties that struggle with the same challenges that Tina talks about in this podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm here with Tina Ogin, which is the director of the Animal Welfare Coalition in Las Vegas, New Mexico. And I wanted to interview Tina because she runs a great shelter up here and I've worked with her on some cases Uh, that we'll get into in a little bit. So, first basic questions. And I may not even know the answers to these questions. So, um, even though I feel like I know Tina, I haven't asked her these official questions. (laughs) So, how long have you been working at the Las Vegas shelter? We, um, so the AWC, the Animal Welfare Coalition, became a not-for-profit in 2008. Um, they kind of worked in Las Vegas in doing low-cost bay-neuter, TNR, uh, kind of a friend of the shelter. Uh, and in 2012, the city of Las Vegas asked us to take over the management of the shelter. So we spent 2012 talking very seriously if we could do it professionally and humanely. Mm-hmm. And we said, yes, we can. And so in 2013, September 3rd, 2013, my life changed forever. And um, (laughs) that is when the AWC took over management of the city of Las Vegas Animal Shelter. And how did you end up getting involved with this whole project? With the the Animal Shelter? Uh Uh-huh. And the AWC. And how did um, you first get... I... I have not, I, I was born and raised in Las Vegas, and I have been gone since I was in the eighth grade, so since I was about 13. I've been very lucky to live all over the place, and I was living in Miami, and I needed to come home to help my family, to do some, some support for my family. So at, at the time, I was, I could, I could work from home. I could, as long as I had internet, I could do work anywhere. Yeah. So I came back to help my mom with my grandfather, who was bedridden, and kind of looked around my community that I really hadn't lived in in forever, and said, there, there's a problem, um, and I need to be, you know, participate in some way. At the time, I thought, oh, my skills are, you know, I can write grants, I can research grants, write grants, I can get some money into, you know, this organization that I found locally, the Animal Welfare Coalition. And like a week later, I was pulling puppies out from under a <laughs> horrible trailer, and um, kind of never looked back. Just sucked you in. Yes, I think as that happens what to do. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone, right? Yes. Once you see the need, you can't. Walk away. Uh, yeah. So and that's actually the story that I tell about you. I say that, you know, I was able to get in contact with Julie, who is a behaviorist and trainer, to document the um th- these dogs that came in for court purposes. And she walked in and she looked them in the eye and that was it. She was yep, in. That so. was it. That was it. 
Yeah, because once you beat them, you can't, well, at least yeah. I can't just walk away. So, um, But describe the condition that the shelter was in when you guys took over. So I, I think that's a, a really good question, and I have a really good answer. It just so happens that the week that we took over the animal shelter, that, week in, that first week in September in 2013, the ASPCA and kind of our liaison, who was Karen, was Karen Medicus, um, was kind of touring some, some New Mexico shelters. Mm. And so they were able to be on site that very first week. They kind they looked around and they said, these are emergency conditions. Right. Our every day, our shelter that we work in is what they would have considered an emergency situation. Right. They were able to give us um, about $10,000 um, so we could you know, make some really immediate things. And one was just getting a three... Three bin sink mm. um, to properly wash dishes. Yeah. That, <laughs> a very basic thing. So it, it was it was pretty bad. The animals. Um, I had been working with the shelter through the AWC for quite some time, um, and really trying to to make things better. Prior to uh, about the year before that, the AWC had we'd gotten a grant to put the roof on the shelter because it was my worst nightmare that I was going to get the call that the roof was gone from the shelter. But this was before we were right, right. running it, so wow. we got a grant to put the roof on the shelter. And with that, the city met, we kind of encouraged the city to match that, and they got put mm. new heaters in. So the heaters on the roof are two things I don't have to worry about. You can see through the walls. There's, you know, you can see straight through walls. It's a pretty bare bones, old school, what people would call a pound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have, it was, you know, one building. We have added a cattery so cats can have their own space. We've added a cat ISO and a dog ISO so we can, you know, separate mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Just really kind of tried to work with what we have. Yeah, I think, I mean, coming from Fairfax County, Virginia to New Mexico... <laughs> there's a really big difference in funding for shelters here. So, you know, at first I was quick to, maybe a little quick to judge, but then once you get into it, you're like, wow, they're doing a ton with what they have. And anyone who's going to be listening to understand, like, where we are, what the struggles are, you know, and that sort of so thing. So one of the very first things that we did, we're in northern New Mexico. It gets very cold in the winter. We have lots of snow. One of the very first things we did was add tarps on to our kennels on mm-hmm. the outside. That doesn't sound like a big deal. The amount of insulation and protection from the mm-hmm. elements that that provides is tremendous. Yeah. So that basic thing right. is, is where we were starting from. Yeah. And yeah. where we, we still exist for the most part. Right. Well, and it, it works. Yeah. Because the dogs have the inside mm. area that's yeah, heated, that's and they can nice. choose to go mm-hmm. in and out. So, what's your release rate? I, re- I read this somewhere. I was our live release rate is 93.6, and we have maintained that for the last four years. Um, we've been over 90%. It's gone up steadily, um, but it's been over 90% for the last four years. That to be considered a um, no-kill facility, you have to be over 90%. We do not choose to call ourselves a no-kill facility. Mm-hmm. Um, there are definitely times when euthanasia is the humane option, and the politics behind the no-kill mm-hmm. stuff is is not something that we want to get involved with. We want to make sure that we can make a choice for each animal individually mm-hmm. and not rush to pushing them out just to get them out alive. If we need to make a responsible choice to euthanize an animal, then we need to do that and mm-hmm. not compromise the dignity or the situation of an animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that plays into, um, so how do you get that, 
all those dogs released um, and transferred elsewhere. Yeah, like, a, a lot of work. What's your underground yeah. railroad? Transfer <laughs> is our, our life's blood. Yeah. Um, we transfer the vast majority of our animals to Colorado, a lot to Albuquerque, and some to Santa Fe, but really Colorado is mm. our, um, our life's blood. We, and again, this is mostly dogs. Uh, we transfer mostly dogs. The, the transfer options for cats are few and far between. Um, they, really? Yeah. Everyone is, is, has more, more full of cats. Santa Fe is doing pretty good because they're, they've had a really intense long-term TNR program. Mm. So they're not getting in the numbers. So they're able to, which is really rare. They're able to transfer in year round, which is Mm. amazing, but that is a very, very rare situation. Um, so we can take advantage of that for cats, but cats don't have as many options as dogs. So we just, I think we have worked really hard to build our reputation as a clean shelter mm-hmm. um, and meaning that our, the animals that we send are not are going to be disease free. Yes. If there is an issue, then we will absolutely disclose what is going on, whether it's medical, uh, anything like that, as well as full transparency, transparency in behavior. Mm-hmm. So the groups that we work with want to work with us. Right. They know what they're getting. Um, we do lots of medical, you know, if somebody needs medical, they get it when they walk in the door, they're going to our vet. We, you know, they'll say sometimes we we can do medical transfers, but um, a lot of times we handle the medical because we know that if we can get it done, Mm -hmm. we can get them transferred and we can get them somewhere where they can get adopted quickly. That leaves us with very, very high medical costs. Medical is is one of our our greatest expenses, is is our greatest expense. Mm -hmm. But I think working really hard, I was doing rescue basically for the shelter before we were Mm -hmm. ran the shelter. Through Angela, Stella, and NM Dog, I was building those connections and those um, contacts with other organizations, establishing those relationships so that a lot of that transferred over to when we started the shelter um, and then just continuing to build those networks and, and trusted relationships. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do know because we've taken several dogs from you, that it is nice to get the records. Clean Villa Health, they've all been dewormed. They've all, I mean, treated for everything, and they are ready to go into foster care, and we don't have to worry about that. Because even though it's not, I've never had it happen, a lot of fosters are concerned about worms or that sort of thing. So it makes it easy for us to do that and, you know, you give me a nice little folder on each dog, so it's it's great. Give you a little packet. <laughs> um, yeah, that should be a standard intake process for any 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 shelter. Yeah. But I also know that there are shelters that afford to buy mm-hmm. vaccines, so right. I I know the reality. Um, but yes, you know, the vaccines on intake, deworming on intake, those things are are basic where mm-hmm. we're starting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so describe San Miguel County a little bit and the challenges you face with animal welfare here. San Miguel County and the city of Las Vegas, which is the seat of San Miguel County, are located in northern New Mexico in a very rural community. Um, it is also a very poor community. It has, you know, some of the, you know, the highest poverty rates, certainly in the state, and unemployment. It's rural, so it has a long history of farming and ranching. That legacy um, kind of translates into the way companion animals are treated. Mm. In terms of, you know, they just get to run run at large all the time. Um, I, I think that that's a legacy of farming and ranching communities and, and households. The chaining, which is, is rampant, despite the fact that both the city of Las Vegas and San Miguel County have um, zero-tolerance anti-tethering ordinances, mm. which are not enforced in either location, I'm not really sure where that comes from, just kind of maybe the cheapest most convenient way to secure an animal if you're instead of having to buy a fence mm-hmm. or install it they just yeah. chain them or certainly bring them inside the home 
Right. So it is a poor rural community. Um, the county is very large with, you know, lots of little communities yeah. throughout, but it is a large county with one currently one animal control officer for the entire county. Right. And how many, this isn't on my list, but how many animals do you intake a year? Do you know? Uh, about 15,000. And then how many people live here? About 13, 13,000. So it's one, over one animal per person. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the backyard <laughs> breeding, huge. yeah, the backyard breeding and the, um, oh, I, I can make money off of, you know, the accidents are what I would call the backyard, mm-hmm. you know, breed the accident litters. And then, oh, I'm going to make money off of my purebred Chevy Pitbull. Right. Well, certainly leads to the um, huge overpopulation of unwanted litters um, yeah. that come through our door every, every day. Um, we've had, we're very lucky to have what we call puppy run. And so aside from our adult um, transfers, adult animal transfers, we have puppy run um, almost every week. There is an amazing couple out of Santa Fe um, that lived in Las Vegas for a while. And that's how they got started on this. They have been transferring puppies to two Colorado puppy rescues for 25 years and probably have transferred over 26,000 puppies. Um, we transfer every week a minimum of six to 20 puppies every week that are just coming in every week. Crazy. And um, there is a little bit of a concern, let's say, from some dog enthusiasts that we shouldn't have spay and neuter laws because of the health ramifications for dogs, which I understand. And I have an article actually that says, you know, I support Spay and neuter. If possible, it's good to do it later so the dog can develop and all of that stuff. But living in New Mexico <laughs> changes, you know, maybe what my thoughts would be about that. So what do you see? Do you think spay and neuter laws would help this issue? I do. Um, because I, and, and I, I totally get, you know, the, the, the growth, um, and, and hormones and factors of waiting, waiting until later to, to spay or neuter an animal. And those are very particular households Mm -hmm. and individuals who are making very educated choices, Mm -hmm. um, for in the best interest of their pet. It's not kind of the households that we deal with that I'm not saying are not, are not intelligent, but don't have maybe the resources or the the forethought to think about Mm. those things. So the reason that we are able to transfer so many animals to Colorado is several reasons. One, um, the bigger, denser populations. But two, those denser populations have had long-term enforced animal control ordinances, specifically spay and neuter. So they, they have their problems of their own. Every, you know, every area has their own, but they don't see the masses of unwanted litters mm-hmm. that we see. There, you can still get breeder's licenses or intact animal permits. Um, so that's always an option. But the mandatory spay neuter, I, we see the effect. We know exactly what has happened over probably 15, 20 years now of long-term enforced mandatory spay neuter Um, and that's the only reason that we are able to transfer the animals in the numbers that we are so yes I'm definitely an advocate for yeah it's kind of the same in Virginia they transfer animals up from the south yes same reason you have an amazing staff I do (laughs) um and it is very hard to come by (laughs) so I want to know for my own personal gain but whoever else might be running a shelter or rescue or whatever do you have any secrets for morale, not getting burnt out? Because uh, you guys, I mean, 
the amount of stress and, you know, trauma you guys see is, is huge. So, and you've had the same employees for how long? We have a pretty steady, um, steady crew. There's not a lot of turnover. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the good ones stick and they stay. The bad ones drop away very quickly, Mm. but the good ones stick and they are amazing and they are all of the reason for our success. I um, uh, my my mom would laugh at me, um, and, and I, I tear up because truly the commitment that they give is amazing. Um, my mom would laugh at me because it is my high school cheerleader roots coming through. <laughs> I am the biggest cheerleader. Um, I you know make sure that they have nights out, that we do um, team building things, that we are a team and we are always communicating. So I think really that. If there's a secret, that's it. Mm-hmm. The secret is that each one of them is individually an amazing person mm-hmm. that is completely committed to making the quality of life better for those animals. How they ended up at the shelter, I don't know, <laughs> but I will do what I need to do to keep them, which is, you know, pizza night, taking a, you know, shelter family movie trip to see, um, what was that pet cartoon? What uh, <laughs> Secret Life of Pets. Oh, right. Um, we've done the... Escape room as a team building thing, you know, making sure they get those things, celebrating birthdays big. They're little things that, I mean, they're so little, but I think that's kind of the morale building support, um, supporting them in their, in their personal, their personal goals. Um, B who is amazing. She started off with an interest, was she studying to be a vet tech? And as she's been here and actually as she's watched too, her interest in behavior and training has really grown. So encouraging her in those ways and finding opportunities for her to grow there, whatever it is, just, um, acknowledging them as individuals and celebrating them. Yeah. Which I mean, isn't much. It's not a lot to ask for, for what they give. Right. Well, and uh, I find it interesting. One of your employees is a math and math major. Getting her, is it her yeah. master's in math? She wants to go so on there's... work at the FBI. Yeah. Um, she And she is um, she she's a, an amazing example of the quality of person. She started off volunteering for me b- way before we were the shelter at spay and neuter clinics as I think she was still in high school at the time. I've watched her grow. She's come and gone at various times when she's gone to school. She's been a um, hotshot with the Forest Service and gone off and done these amazing, amazing things. But when she needs to come back and, and do school, she'll come back and, and do the shelter. And what she brings to the shelter... Her, her ability to work and is amazing. The All of the skills that she brings are, are tremendous. Yeah, yeah. And they all are amazing with the animals and giving, I mean, their skill and, you know, restraining to give a vaccine or anything like that is really good. So often we get people who walk in and they think that this is a good job for a teenager. Oh, this would be a good job for my high school kid. <laughs> It wouldn't, and not because your high school kid isn't amazing. The amount of, they could make more at Walmart. They could make more at McDonald's. They are there because it is a passion for them. Doing the math to calculate dosages, the physicality of of the work that we do, moving kennels, Mm. moving dogs, moving things. Freezing cold. Yes. Chipping ice. In all the weather, chipping ice out there in, you know, what car hearts because it's freezing cold, but these animals still need the care that they need. Yeah. Compassion and the um, compassion fatigue that comes with working with animals and with humans. I don't know a 16 year old who can handle all of that. No. All of the things that they do are, are tremendous. So, yeah, that's very cool to watch them and 
the wealth of knowledge they have about medical care and all kinds of things is when I hear the compliments from like when you guys came for the training, (laughs) um, it just, it, it, it fills my heart because I know what they do every day. They're good. They're good. So we met in person almost a year ago. More than a year ago. Was it March? Okay. 2019. Because I looked it up on the calendar. Um, I came up to evaluate the dogs from the Ilfeld hoarding case. Describe a little bit about that case and like how long it took to seize the dogs and all of that stuff. I don't know. Are you? We have been aware. We, as in um, myself, Angela's Del from NM Dog, and a variety, a certain Santa Fe animal shelter, have been aware of the Jessica Taylor Green Gates Sanctuary for at least 10 years. Mm. Amazing um, resource that we uh, used to have in New Mexico, Nina Stively. She now works in Virginia. She actually kind of started in the early days trying to get um, Jessica to surrender animals. I know um, she ended up with a few goats from Jessica. And this was at least 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, you know, trying to ease animals out of the Mm -hmm. property. So this has been a long-term situation. I definitely want to stress that um, I think this kind of situation, she starts like all of us do with with our hearts in the right places. They want to make a difference for animals, certainly animals in San Miguel County mm. who have it, this that is it's pretty brutal. There have been had been the complaints from neighbors had been increasing the, the neighbors in terms of the barking, the dogs running at large, dogs running at large that were harassing their livestock or killing their domestic animals. Um, the complaints were, were increasing in January of 2019 or yeah, of 2019, a new sheriff came into a new sheriff was elected and to his credit in that very first month of January, 2019, the Jessica Taylor warrant was served. Um, and on January 31st, we went on to a property in Ilfield, New Mexico, in which there were 32 animals, two goats, four cats, and the rest were dogs. It was, I believe, seven agencies took part in that. NM Dog, the AWC, San Miguel County Sheriff's Department, the City of Las Vegas Animal Control Officers, Bernalillo County Animal Services, County Emergency people mm-hmm. <laughs> um and BMS yeah yeah and um the fire department <laughs> we took all of that um and we were there for an entire day finding animals and intaking animals and documenting everything that we found some of the interesting things about this particular situation were that there were many animals specifically the goats but lots of dogs mm-hmm. as well that were very boarded off that had to be broken into with by the fire department they had to peel away wood and stuff um so these animals were like locked in i don't know how she reached them or if she remembered that they were there i don't know how that happened right. but these were animals that were completely boarded up and and away from everything there were also you know lots of you know dogs in pens and many running at large and the ones running at large were some of the traumatic most traumatic ones to get because they were running and so they had to be caught and they were not used to being handled mm-hmm. there was kind of three three age groups there was solidly adult dogs there was a group of juveniles and there was tiny puppies that were going to be fine 
after that day they were in, they were going to be fine. And there were two litters of those. The juveniles, surprisingly to me, and I think to Julie, (laughs) um, proved to be the most difficult and the biggest challenges. And I I think they had grown up there. They had never known the one-on-one contact of um, of humans yeah. and the adults may have may have at some point they may have come from homes or Jessica may have been in a different place when she got them mm. so they were certainly not easy I think they were still a challenge yeah. but truly the the juveniles and as I've spoken recently with the Santa Fe Animal Shelter they are the ones that they are are having the biggest problems mm-hmm. with as well so the, that juvenile group was the biggest the biggest challenge a lot of inbreeding we could um most of the dogs were on the back side of our kennels and you could look down it and you could see the relationship <laughs> they were all yeah. related so there was a lot of inbreeding going on the cats were in a trailer um and the trailer had to be broken again into again by the the fire department and was the worst thing that you see on tv mm. in the horror movies we went in after the cats and you know, noxious fumes of ammonia from from cat urine. And we were not walking on the floor. We were walking on every piece of trash and furniture and bedding and blankets and that were completely covered. Covered. Yeah. The um, cats were all the way in the back room. So, of course, we had to go the length of the trailer (laughs) getting them. I fell through a completely dilapidated entertainment center, which uh, I'm fine. That wasn't a big deal, but (laughs) it's, it's an example of... So surprised. Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) it was, you know, I think she had some knowledge that something was coming, Mm -hmm. or it may have also, I think, also been her regular routine was the the cleanup of the animals, the the cleanup of feces and keeping a clean Mm -hmm. environment was just to layer uh, layer and layer um, straw. So there's, you know, the feces from however long, a week, two weeks, and then she put a layer of straw over Mm -hmm. it. And then, so that was just kind of layered up straw. The water buckets were either non-existent or, um, you know, green, you know, filthy water buckets um, with, you know, a, a trickle of some green something at the bottom. Right, right. There was food present, um, moldy food, different, you know, there were, some of them were very thin, definitely a lot of overgrown nails, but most importantly, very emotionally broken dogs. Mm-hmm. Very, very broken dogs. Yeah. And I have, uh, yeah, and my next question is, our colleague Angela described the dogs to me on the phone as the most shut down, fearful dogs she's ever seen. And she had been doing, she's been doing rescue for, I don't know, 10, 15 years now. And she does rescue also specifically with chain dogs. Yeah. So she's seen, yeah, she's not a newbie. (laughs) Yeah. And so when she told me that, I'm like, Hmm, that actually piqued my interest, I must say. But also I was like, okay, well, I'll go up there and, you know, check it out and see. Um, I agree that, um, (laughs) in my 10 years, I'd never, never seen anything like it. And, uh, you know, had to call in the big guns to help, but we'll get to that in a little bit. You have how many kennels in your shelter? 32. 32. And you took third, you had Uh, four, 32 minus four cats and two dogs. So 20, 20 some dogs. So how did you manage that? And what impact did having well and we should mention these dogs were here for nine months yes we so got how them did that impact everything else everything else <laughs> um we got custody or well, not custody we got um physical custody of all of these animals on january 31st we did not get legal custody of them until august the middle of august so the entire organization um the re- the financial the staff 
the every resource that we had was strapped past its breaking point. Mm -hmm. The amazing help that we received from our partner organizations helped lighten the load. Um, NM Dog took the two goats mm -hmm. um, and they stayed with a foster, <laughs> yeah. um, an amazing foster that whole time. And they tried to butt me. The others. <laughs> um, and NM Dog took, I can't remember initially how many dogs she took. She took Chrissy and puppies and Janet. Jay. And Jack. And Jack. Yes. So she took four adult dogs and a litter of puppies. Mm -hmm. Chrissy and the litter of puppies were proved to be very difficult. Chrissy was particularly had issues and traumatized. And, yeah, traumatized. Yeah. Um, and and would bite. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so her she kind of bounced from two um, foster homes and then came back to us. So we had her. So NM Dog took in the two goats, four adult dogs, and a litter most immediately. So that made a difference. We had one of the cats was euthanized immediately, a positive for FIV, mm -hmm. VLUC, FIP, and we, we couldn't sustain that in the shelter right. environment. So we had the three cats and then the rest of the dogs. So um, amid, um, amidst those, there was at least three litters. So those could be kind of grouped together. Mm -hmm. So that helped. The extent of time that they were there, they rapidly grew. Yeah. Um, so we had to start <laughs> spreading them out, not only for you know space and and health reasons, but for their behavior. Mm -hmm. to, you know, they, they couldn't all be together and grow up and be well-adjusted dogs. Yeah. So uh, we did not take in any owner surrendered dogs in 2019 because of this. Wow. We usually schedule our owner surrenders and we say, hey, we can get this one in in a week, um, which is a, a fairly normal practice mm -hmm. for, for many shelters. And we kept scheduling and we kept the, the list kept growing because we never could right. breathe. We could never get past the daily survival of the animals that we had to take in from the city and county animal control. Those animals kept coming in. Strays from the public kept coming in. And we had this group of animals that we could not do anything with because right. we could not get legal custody of. Miss Taylor was absolutely not willing to surrender the animals, certainly to us, but at that time to anyone. anyone. Yeah, because that was the biggest, one of the biggest questions I, I got was, well, why don't, why can't they just transfer them out or... But yeah. you couldn't legally. Could, yeah. So we they could had not to stay here. Really make any significant decisions for them until we had legal custody of them. If there were medical decisions, anything like that, we could mm -hmm. take care of those needs. And they also weren't in a state that most people could have fostered them right. either. They were extremely, they wouldn't walk on leash. They wouldn't, I mean, they would just freak for, out. So. Yeah. For the animals, the long time, that, that nine month period was great for them. Mm -hmm. That was the, their saving grace. They yeah. could, they had the time to, to grow and to gain confidence and for you and your team to come and work with them. Yeah. So that was amazing for them. They could, and we all saw them grow. We saw the progress that they made because on February 1st, I would have said, wow, yeah. this is going to be a lot of euthanasia. And that was not the case, which yeah. was amazing. Yeah. So managing an already overcrowded, underfunded shelter with this stress on top of it, um, again, is a testament to my staff. Yeah. They always kept it going. And just we, 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 I cannot stress enough the challenges that we faced as a result of this. Yeah. And you guys just kept going and going and going. Every time I'd come up here, I'd be like, well, they're still here and they're still smiling. <laughs> I'm like, this is crazy because I got to go home, you know, and in between and, and put it on the back burner. But I'm like, you guys had to every be day. every day. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I just can't imagine um, 
yeah, next question is, what did you think the outcome would be, which was, and I at the time as well was like, whew, I don't know what's going to happen with these dogs. Yeah, I, I so, thought that um, it was going to be a very high euthanasia. Yeah. Um, I thought the puppies would be fine at the time. I thought the juveniles, I was like, no, the juveniles will be fine. They're still young, um, which, and they did end up fine. Yeah. But, um, with much more work, but yes. um, I did. I, I thought that this was going to be a, a very high euthanasia. Yeah, yeah, and I was struggling with that for a while as well. And then, then after, well, I guess we should talk a little bit about rehabbing them. Tina uh, was brave enough to have me come out every so often, but also to host a workshop of, what, 17 dog trainers. From all over the from country. From all over the country here to her little shelter and uh, I call it the little shelter that could like that, <laughs> that little is, book yep, you know yeah, the, the little, little train engine, engine. Yeah. but um that you is, know so it was a huge turning point I felt in like my outlook on the case and also the networking that came from that I mean we were able to transfer out what seven Oh well, seven yeah. of the of the seizure dogs, but some left that day. Yeah. So like, Passion took a little Chihuahua. That's true. Yeah. So even <laughs> some of them yeah. adopted dogs from the shelter. Beyond even were... um the 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 whole dogs. Yeah. 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 So we were able to transfer out uh, Chrissy, who was one of the most traumatized dogs, to a great place in Arizona, and a couple to Virginia finally, and then a couple to uh, New York. New York. And the work that they've put in was is really awesome. And uh, the rescue in New York, Kareen Canine, has worked with my friend Jason. And we get videos of the dogs, like, in the park in Brooklyn. And I was like, oh, my God, they're going to freak out in the city. And they didn't. They Yeah. Which was... <laughs> the resilience. So I, I think that maybe that's another trait that you can attribute to dogs that live in this kind of environment yeah. is their resilience. But they, so we had the training in like June, the end yeah, of June, yeah. and they knew we weren't going to get custody of the animals for, it was going to be a long time, mm -hmm. it turned out to be August, but they didn't forget about us. Mm -mm. They made a commitment, they said, hey, we can take two of these, yeah. and or we can take these guys, and when the time came, they were still there. They did, yeah. which is like, doesn't always happen, let's just yeah. say. So, um, yeah, and the, they were actually willing to take more if needed yeah uh, but it turned out our rescue took and, them yeah and, <laughs> so, and your rescue yeah yeah we took i think six or seven yeah maybe something like, like that and a couple have been adopted and a couple are still in progress okay. yeah but that's you know that's okay and we all knew that would be the case and we're we committed to it so but uh i think yeah we had nelson hodges come out and kind of show me and everyone else what to do with the more severe cases. I was I was comfortable with the like the Blakes, the ease I would say normal fearful. <laughs> I don't you know, let's say scale of one to ten or five. Yeah. Um, but we had some eights and nines that I didn't know what to do with and then the juveniles were just wild. They and were so, little wild animals. They were just yeah. wild. <laughs> And so I wasn't sure, you know, what to do with them and was concerned about them hurting themselves because they were, anytime you try and touch them, they'd like flail around and all kinds of things. So after that, I think we were able, like I came up and we were really able to make progress and get them to where they could be transferred and they could at least walk on a leash and that sort of thing. So that was pretty, pretty awesome. Thanks everyone yes. who did that. Huge thanks. Um, it was good. Then you guys went 
and started working with the second property when? So we knew that there was a second property, but we also knew that we could not intake, have another influx of animals. Um, at, we, yeah. at that point, we still had others all, all everybody everybody from the first group so we were trying to figure out how, how to make things work for 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 those animals that were on a second property about uh, i don't know maybe 20 minutes from the, our, the first property miss taylor violated her terms of parole uh, or her terms of release twice which ended her up in jail and that really <laughs> sped up the the um, situation for mm. those animals because nobody was there to care for them right. so we were tasked by the courts to go out and care for them we were going out thought we would obviously they're animals they need care every day mm-hmm. it was we, we couldn't maintain it yeah and this is it's like a 40 minute drive yes, from here yeah. on the highway yeah so, it is a 40 minute drive from here um, we needed at least three staff members. We had to have the county um, brought in a water tank to have access water because there is not adequate water on the property. And the conditions, much like the first property, the conditions of the kennels are completely haphazard and pieced together, pieces of wire and pallets, things pieced Crate together. Doors yeah, crate doors. So getting in and out of kennels to clean or to feed in and of itself was a task. Mm-hmm. We were going out so m- multiple times a week to to care for these animals and made sure that they would have we'd provide extra water and food and even trying to really thoroughly clean out the kennels was almost impossible because there was years of feces yeah, build up. I don't even know how you would it, <laughs> yeah. Begin and to do um that. I think we were talking to Julie today, um, and she she wasn't aware of this really uh, rather impressive, extensive um, underground tunnels that the dogs had <laughs> created for themselves. So getting an accurate count of who was there was difficult because we'd count and then we'd move into another section, and the same dog would pop up, and we would try to figure out. Um, but there was truly tunneling through all of the kennel areas where they would go in and out of of um, different kennels, and I think we're familiar with, with most of uh, their, their neighbors and, yeah. and their other dogs, um, and, and would pop in and out because the kennels were so haphazard, they would pop in and out of, of kennels like that. Um, so uh, the second property had probably about 61 dogs. Thank, through um, the help of Santa Fe Animal Shelter, um, two vets went out, the director of Santa Fe Animal mm-hmm. Shelter, and uh, another vet went out, and they did a very thorough inventory of the dogs and kind of the best case assessment of mm. you know age breed temperament which was really really helpful especially for 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 court purposes Again, there was about three sections, three main sections of dogs. There was a barn um, that many dogs lived in. Initially, when we went in, there were two moms with newborn puppies in the same kennel. So two Mm. nursing moms with two newborn litters in the same kennel. In that, Alora was also in the barn initially, Mm. um, who is one of the dogs that um, Julie's organization, Paca, took. So there was the barn with many dogs in it. There was kind of a, a, a side group that was pretty small, um, but had two seniors who have, have become um, kind of beloved seniors, mm. Jazz and Lombada. Lombada was um, taken by Ula Peterson at Kindred Spirits. She has stem cell, mast cell cancer, um, and will just kind of, and she's a senior, so she will, Ula is a hospice and senior sanctuary. And then a, another area that was a very large area outside with lots of dogs so those were kind of the three main areas and when we would go out we would kind of assign everybody an area and go out haul the water and you know the food and 
not glamorous, not not for most teenagers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, no, yeah, and and like, um, you know, <laughs> I, you could easily step on a nail or scratch mm. yourself on a rusty wire because, again, I cannot stress enough the sh- haphazard pieced together. Um, shanty town of yeah. kennels. This yeah, was. And there was that row that you actually had to climb through. There were like four by four foot kennels, and then you had to climb through those kennels to get to the dogs in the back. So you had to climb past feral dogs, which were basically just scared. They're they didn't scared. want to hurt anyone, mm-hmm. but you still had to do that and kind of climb through and being six foot tall is challenging (laughs) for me but you know yeah it was and jade was in the barn too yes jade was in the barn while we were doing that we had um a sheriff's deputy on site at Mm. all times because this was still jessica's property and we were maintaining it because she was in jail so at that point the deputies were able to decide that anyone who was in need if there was a medical need Mm -hmm. that needed to be addressed or somebody was compromised in some way then we could take them Mm -hmm. um so that's how we were able to kind of slowly start pulling animals from there and getting them into a vet and getting them what they needed um so that's kind of where they started trickling in from us we had some newborn mothers that they said yes we can get the 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 newborn puppies moms out, out of there some some injuries and illnesses that's how we got lombada because mm-hmm. she had these huge masses all over. um so that was kind of how we started those started trickling in at some point in that conversation miss taylor power of attorney to another rescue in san miguel county she could take all of the animals and, and she signed many of those over to mm-hmm. us so that's those were how we got animals from that second location yeah yeah, and it, there seemed to be more medical need at that yes. location, um, and some pretty severe wounds and tap. things. Yeah. Those pictures were terrible, uh, but she's doing good. She's cute. Come to her first adoption event this Saturday. Yay. So, so this is my next question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. Describe how vigilante do-gooders, without proper knowledge of dog care and rehabilitation, compromise the dogs from the second location because it's still going on yes Um, I'm not involved in it in that side I'm involved with um, some rescues who are responsible and and trying to help the dogs and contacted me for help so I've seen some of them but others I think have kind of nobody knows what happened to them um so kind of um the main person that um kind of felt, I, I think she heard about this sanctuary situation at like a post office or something. Mm. She overheard a conversation <laughs> um, and is kind of identified herself as an animal advocate. I think perhaps, again, started off with, you know, the best best of intentions and had maybe contemplated starting a, a rescue and, and, and doing a rescue, but really had no knowledge or experience and kind of jumped into this with out any knowledge of her experience. Um, and so, you know, pulling animals from shelters is often what a lot of rescues do, and those are maybe often vetted and probably don't have a lot of the behavior issues. This rescue situation was extreme in every mm-hmm. in every aspect, the environment, the animals, the situation. Medical need, the behavior. She befriended Miss Taylor, and then I think that went south and was pulling animals from Miss Taylor's property, I think, with both with and without her permission, lived in the city of Santa Fe, so had way too many animals at her home than she should have. And again, the mental condition of these animals, these are are very shut down, Mm -hmm. scared, almost feral dogs in the city of Santa Fe. 
at some point she received money to purchase a property in Madrid, New Mexico. This property was very similar to the property that they came from. It did not have any structures. It did not have running water. No utilities. No utilities. I can't fathom how anyone could consider taking care of animals at, at this number and with these needs on a property like that. So there were, she had properties, animals, dogs at her her home in the city of Santa Fe. She had ant dogs at the property in um, Santa Fe County. Santa Fe uh, Animal uh, Santa Fe County Animal Control heard about the situation and went out and issued a cease and desist order because it was it was not an appropriate situation to put animals mm-hmm. in. They were being pulled from not a good situation and being put into an even worse situation mm-hmm. with the vigilante rescuer best of intentions. I I know what I'm doing and I can do it better. Yeah. Um, attitude and it really put um, a lot of these animals at risk I know um, there were animals that ran that were run, that escaped from her home in city of Santa Fe that were running at large they ever got picked up by city of Santa Fe animal control I don't know one dog for sure I don't know if multiple dogs in her home were mauled and attacked by um, these dogs and again through no fault of their own they should not have been put in that situation mm-hmm. they it, it was not fair to them she again was very resistant to surrender any of the any of the animals. Santa Fe Animal Shelter went out and evaluated and um, assessed which ones they thought they could take and which ones they couldn't because they knew that euthanasia would be on the table for them. This this individual was not willing to to accept that. Mm-hmm. So the animals were living in in terrible conditions because she was not willing to to surrender any of them, which is exactly what they had been pulled from. Other groups were involved in that um, and and took some in at various points. Uh, Several of them were in board. They were in boarding for a while. Actually, before they went to Madrid. (laughs) We need a a chart. (laughs) Yes, we need a timeline. Um, Before they went to Madrid, they were in boarding in Santa Fe, um, which uh, a boarding in Santa Fe, Santa Fe um, tends to be a higher-end community with well-loved pets that are have received vet care and grooming and go to doggy daycare. Dozens of basically feral dogs into this boarding facility on like a Friday. Um, by Monday, all of the staff had, had left because they were not prepared to yeah. care for animals at this level. Uh, I don't know how long they stayed there, but they were there for a while and then moved. Another organization stepped in at that point, Paws, to make sure that they even got vaccinated and were seen by a vet. So Jane Carson of Pecos Paws said, look, I'm going to do this because these animals need it. Mm-hmm. So she intervened. Some of those animals, I'm not sure if, if they got them directly from the property or if they got Maureen and Donna, if they got them from, I'm not sure how they got those right, animals, right. but which I believe they still have some and mm-hmm. have adopted some. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the ones Julie has been working with. Kind of the chaos that all of those pieces created on the property was pretty tremendous and really caused the resulted in the San Miguel County Sheriff's Department acting to kind of shut down the property. Nobody else can come and go. These are the people that are allowed on the property. We need all of the keys. There was a lot of moving around of animals. You know, we would show up and animals would be moved all over with, you know, no communication about what had happened. So it really compromised the the continuity of care and stability. To call what these animals were living in was a stable environment is a stretch, but even compromising that. At least they knew it. Yes. And to cause them the stress of moving them from one horrible situation moving them into another horrible situation was just unfounded and I can't even imagine how they managed to you know get them out of a crate to go to the bathroom like these are not dogs that would just walk it was 
I mean, I don't know how they did it. I think honestly. that's um, what you just said. Very early on, we were trying to get national assistance to yeah. to help us. And one of the groups that we spoke with that was probably the most helpful was Red Rover. And she said, yeah, you know, I think tentatively we might be able to help with this. And as she started getting the details and we were talking about it, she said, oh, no. She said, even if we send out a volunteer corps, they aren't prepared to deal. Mm-hmm. You know, they can get animals out and walk them to go potty and clean kennels. These animals... We're not that. Um, yeah, so they weren't walkable on a leash. They would bite the leash and cut their gums and, I mean, all kinds of things. Flailing and, yeah, just to, brutal. Just to move them six inches. It was crazy. So they're actually walking on leashes now, that which is... is crazy. And they did it. Do you guys have, well, you still have dogs from the second location. We do. We have three left. Lombada moved again to a senior and hospice rescue in about the last month or so. And so we have what I believe to be her sister. Mm-hmm. I believe they were litter mates. We have Jazz, another senior, and two two younger ones. One of them has come along very nicely and I, is going to be able to transfer very soon. Mm-hmm. And another one who, who we would like you to, to look yeah, at. Yeah, I'm going to look um, at today yeah. or next week. Yeah, so those are <laughs> so. the three remaining from yeah. the second location. Yeah. From what I understand, you said be able to transfer soon. So before you transfer dogs out, what do you want them to be able to accomplish? Um, so for um, this kind of goes back to questions before, but for most of our transfer partners, um, you were a little bit different because you were willing to take on some of those challenges. Yeah, I was like, whatever. <laughs> um, so generally speaking, and you know, again, they're they're you know sometimes I'll say, hey, this dog can't do this, needs help with this. And they're, 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 they're able okay to accommodate. It. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, they want a dog that will approach you, that will walk on a leash fairly easily. Mm-hmm. You know, can still need work in that department, mm-hmm. but basically can walk on a leash. But really kind of the body will approach a human, is has the soft body language. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Caper is almost there. Oh, good. Caper. It's a good name. What are the positives that came out of doing all of this? And what did you, did you learn something? I know I learned a ton. Um, I learned a ton. Um, I learned a lot about behavior from Julie and Nelson. I learned the value of the media. Um, how I don't know if I learned how to, but I learned the value of how we can use the media. Because I, this was on the news multiple times yeah it was on um television news it was in um uh, state newspapers and of course our local newspaper lots of things just about our staff and our um resilience and uh, you know ability to to get through this really really difficult year my hope that what will come from this the long term that will come from this is really a statewide Colorado has what's called PACFA Mm -hmm. and it um, manages every aspect of animals in Colorado groomers breeding veterinarians rescues shelters everything so in order for us to transfer animals into Colorado we have to be licensed Mm -hmm. Um, we are licensed we have our vehicle inspected and any any reputable organization that takes animals from us wants to know that we're licensed right. and they are licensed as well. Oh. Um, and there are, there are reports. They do periodic, they'll stop by somewhere. They know that on Thursday in Trinidad, Colorado, somebody is going to be transferring animals and they will do surprise really? inspections. They do inspections. Yes. They do inspections. Imagine that. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> another hoarding situation that we were involved, and all of this is connected, I, will, I promise. Another hoarding situation that we were involved in much more minimally was in 2017, 
in about February 2017. And that was in Sedan, New Mexico. And you can find it on the news as mm. well. And that was a woman from Colorado who had a, a rescue and sanctuary in Colorado violated PACFA enough times that she could no longer be certified by PACFA. So she said, hey, I'm going to New Mexico because there's, there's no, no requirements. Laws. There's <laughs> nothing to meet. And I can buy some cheap land out in the middle of nowhere. And no one will know. Anyone thinking of this idea will be coming for you. Yes. <laughs> um, so a woman happened to be in a veterinary office one day, uh, a rescuer. Um, she volunteered for other organizations in Colorado, and she was talking to this woman who was just absolutely distraught about her senior cats. She was a woman that had a, a degenerative disease. I don't remember mm. what it was, but she had made, I mean, best case scenario, we all always wish for this, you know, this situation. She had made plans for her senior cats. Mm. She knew that she had a degenerative disease and she was getting to a point where she could no longer care for them. So she had, had paid this organization a lot of money to provide for her cats for the rest of their life mm. and transferred them to them. She somehow insisted on, on seeing them or visiting with them and found them in horrible condition oh, and took them back and was distraught about it. And um, this rescuer was like, wow. So she kind of started poking around and kind of started seeing some questionable mm. things, contacted NM Dog in New Mexico, and we were like, Okay, you know what's going on. We in turn contacted Animal Humane, and because they were working with the ASPC very closely at that time, right. um, and said, "Hey, we have this information. We can. We're, we were the closest in Las Vegas. We were the closest to the location in northeastern New Mexico, and said we can go out as you know volunteers and you know with permission. I'll right. go get on the right. property. Um, and kind of document. So myself and one of my staff members, who is no longer with us, but is an amazing dog guy. He is. He has the gift. And so we went out and we documented the entire situation, which was just as bad, if not worse, mm -hmm. than Jessica's. These two people were friends. She was friends with Jessica and some of... <laughs> yeah, a they, they find each other. Um, so um, some of Jessica's animals were there. Jessica had transferred some animals uh, to this property. Uh -huh. I think that day we took 12 animals, 12 dogs and a handful of cats. Um, and Animal Humane said that they would take them. We took them. Angela picked them up here in Las Vegas and drove them to Animal Humane, and Animal Humane took them. We passed all the video and the, the photo documentation that we received to the ASPCA a couple of months later with that county, and I can't remember which county it is, but with that county sheriff's department, mm -hmm. the ASPCA went in and raided the property. They took over 200 animals, and oh, wow. over a, and many of them were senior because this woman, again, was marketing herself oh, as a sanctuary, and people were paying big money to, to send their animals there. I know one situation, a woman called me about a year later and said she had come across our name as being linked to it. Did I know anything about her pit bull? And she described it. I said, let me see, let me figure it out. When I started thinking about it, I knew exactly what dog she was talking about. Her dog had been deemed a, a dangerous dog in her county. And they told her that if she could find a sanctuary for it to go to, then they would release the dog. And she found the sanctuary, paid a lot of money mm -hmm. for the dog to go there. That dog was killed by another dog in a dog fight. And the other dog was um, left very injured and had to be euthanized. And it was a brutal death. I had to call her back and tell her um, right. so that she could have some closure. Right. ASPCA went in, they seized these animals, they took them to an undisclosed location for you know to keep them. Again, they did not have legal custody of the animals. Mm -hmm. A year later, over a million dollars later, we could not, that would have killed the AWC. Right. We would have, there I mean, no what, what happened to us was we were barely hanging on. Mm -hmm. ASPCA has those resources. And a year later, over a million dollars later, they still did not have custody of these animals. <laughs> 
where I was going with this was my long-term goal of this, of everything that we went through and everything that we've learned and everything that we've learned in the court process, most mm-hmm. importantly, is that we get some something going in New Mexico. We get some pactful legislation. We get something that you can't just pop up with a sanctuary because you want to and it goes unchecked. I know Valencia County has a hoarding situation that they will be dealing with shortly. We have 26 more dogs in Pecos County that we have to deal with. We have 10 dogs and 6 cats that we're going out for on Friday. Shelters and rescues and sanctuary, legitimate sanctuaries, cannot continue to, to do this. We right. need some oversight yeah. and we need, um, we can't, I don't think that we can leave it to the county level. I, I think there needs to be some state protections. So that is what I learned a lot of things, but my long term goal would be that. Yeah, I mean, and the rescue I volunteer for is relatively small, um, but we are affected by this even though we're in Albuquerque because these are the cases we, we, help and we're happy to help but it is a little crazy that people are allowed to have these locations and no one they're not held accountable and there's no i mean there's laws sort i mean there's kind of some a very basic state laws like neglect um and and abuse and cruelty yeah um but there are also many counties in new mexico that have no animal ordinances San Miguel County, where we are, is surrounded. Mora County, above us, has no animal ordinances. Guadalupe County, below us, has no animal ordinances. So there are many counties in New Mexico that have nothing. Would the dogs that came from Rowan Ilfeld, would they have actually qualified for... I mean, they had shelter. They had... Well, they kind of had water and food. Some days they would have. So is that kind of why it was hard um, to prosecute as well? Jessica received, I think... Originally, seven counts of felony cruelty and like 23 counts of misdemeanor Mm. cruelty. When she negotiated to not be charged for the second location, they added a a couple more counts of felony cruelty. So I think she ended up with 13 counts of the animals that we could document that went into the Mm. vet. But felony cruelty, it was... After all of that, there was only ultimately 13 counts. And that still has yet to be proven in court. The court date is still pending. Um, Part of that, part of the court struggle, it has been, was getting legal custody of them. Mm. There is an ordinance, there is a statute in the state of New Mexico to provide for that. But none tried to do research to get, you know, other jurisdictions that have used it. And across the board, it was, there's, uh, you know, attorneys were saying, it is the judges aren't familiar with it the courts aren't mm-hmm. familiar with it so they just don't use it in our instance we filed the papers to get legal custody which is a civil petition that we filed jessica had criminal charges so the judge just looped our civil petition in with the criminal charges which is not how that works mm-hmm. and it just kind of sat there with the case which the case is still sitting there we had not been able to get custody of them we could still we have still them. even have the dogs yeah legal aspect I mean I don't know much about it but it is I think a lot of people don't realize the length of time uh, the lack of enforcement um, all of this stuff that I mean I kind of hear a little bit of it by being in rescue but I'm not that involved in it but I think a lot of people that live here might be surprised if they 
knew how difficult it was. On the most basic level, all the way up to this level of a large-scale hoarding, the reality is, is this is not important in New Mexico. Companion animals and their condition and the way they live is not a priority. Law enforcement is not making it a priority. Court systems are not making it a priority. That's certainly true in Las Vegas and San Miguel County, and I know it's true in many, many counties in New Mexico. They're rural, they're poor, it's it's not important. I always say if your community is safe for its animals, it's safe for its people, mm-hmm. you don't even have to care about animals to, you know, to, to be invested. It's just for the common good. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Don't come to New Mexico and open, think you can have a lot of dogs. Yes. Just don't. Yeah. I didn't know all that information, so that was interesting. Okay. <laughs> I, I will talk for you any time. pieces and running around in between handling dogs and all that stuff, so it's good. And uh, I think it'll, you know, be interesting for people and hopefully open people's eyes as to what is actually happening in the United States to animals. Yes. Because I had no idea... You know, not being here, I had no idea. And if you are a responsible rescue, I would like to find some dogs for your rescue in a place that doesn't have enough dogs. Come to New Mexico, we'll hook you up. Yes, we have (laughs) lots. Thanks, Tina. Thank you so much.